This week on the Recruitment Flex, more layoffs at talent.com. Is there September surge in hiring coming? Hairstylist is one of the most in-demand trade in Canada. Who knew? Plus, how close are we to zero touch recruitment? TRF with my dad and Shelly starts after this message from Van Hout. Hey, Shelly, do you remember the days of being in corporate talent acquisition? Oh, absolutely. Every time the phone rang, it was another staffing agency claiming to be innovative and different. I used to wonder when someone would truly elevate the industry. Well, hold on to your hat here, because that's exactly what Van Hack has done. Shelley, picture this. A closed community of pre-verified tech talent ready to relocate to Canada with all the paperwork taken care of. Sounds too good to be true? Well, not anymore. Van Hack has made it a reality. They have built the community of skilled software developers eager to make the move, and they handle the entire immigration process. And that's not all. They're taking it up a notch. Companies with offshore development teams, listen up. Van Hack's introducing the Canadian Engineering Office. Move your entire dev team to Canada, and Van Hack handles all the nitty-gritty details of immigration and relocation. So can you imagine, Serge? The applause from your CIO if you were to walk into his office and bring this solution to the table. Shelly, every time I walk into an office, I get applause. But that's not all. (laughs) The best part is they've got certified immigration consultants on board who've done this countless times. They understand that every family situation is unique. Revolutionize the way you recruit, relocate, and retain talent because when it comes to innovation in the talent acquisition world, Van Hack is leading the charge. Get ready to be the hero of your company. Check out vanhack.com today. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly, we just came back from a long weekend. How was your weekend? My long weekend was so busy. I was glad to be back at work. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, we had lots of family come in and... Everyone wanted to come to my place, which was great, but it also meant a lot of planning. And I took my dad to the Labor Day game, which is a classic here in Calgary. Yes. It's the Battle of Alberta, and the players all wear a black jersey, this tradition that they started. So when my dad first moved to Calgary in the 1950s, he played football. That was his thing was football in the summer and hockey in the winter. So he played for the junior team here in Calgary, which was called the Mustangs, which became the Calgary Stampeders. So I I may have shared with the audience, but I know you know this, Serge. My dad's now wheelchair bound. I took him to the game and we were in a climate controlled, which is good because it was really smoky in Calgary. Yeah, it was cold Um, too. Yeah, and it was cold. So it was climate controlled. And I got him a team jersey that he wore and they brought him a signed football and presented it to him. And they made such a fuss about this old guy, you know, hats off to Calgary Sports Entertainment Group or whatever they're called, because they really did a nice job. I don't think he stopped smiling 
the whole time. And then our local celebrity, John Cornish. Yes. Yes. He came by, chatted my dad up. So it was so special. Well, John Cornish was the starting running back for a long time and a very rare starting running back that is Canadian. And I think he's from Edmonton, but now lives in Calgary. That is pretty cool. And I think you're underplaying climate control. You were in a luxury suite. I'm not going to ask how much money it costs, but for that experience for your dad, money can't buy that. I know he hasn't been to a game in a long time. Huge fan. And what a game, too. They came back and won the game in the last minute, which is just such a CFL thing, right? Like people can make fun of the CFL in the US and some people in Canada, but there's something about the CFL and just the heritage and culture behind it. I'm Mm -hmm. a big fan of CFL. I'm a big fan of the St. Peter's. So I'm glad you had a great time. You're right. And these experiences and opportunities, especially as they become older, because my dad's 88 years old. <laughs> yeah. So. Talking talking about experience, really busy weekend with the girls, mm-hmm. like nonstop. On Sunday, we went to the Pride Parade, which is a yearly tradition for us. And the girls just love it. They love it because there's music, a lot of music. Candy? a lot of dancing and the candies. Like I had more candies than they did at Halloween. I have three bags of them. They just throw it and the girls are like, obviously they're four and eight. Candy is their world. It's all about control right now. It's the rationing and the leveraging it for good behavior. But our former premier, Rachel Notley, saw the girls and came by and said hi and uh, such a cute video saying how cute they are and then she noticed Mallory she's like oh you're cute too but the twins get that especially when they're dressed the same and it's rare but they got a lot of attention and they loved it so we got to meet the former premier of Alberta Rachel Notley that was so cute I saw the video when you posted on Instagram and I was like who could resist because the twins have that beautiful white blonde hair and their little haircuts. And you're right, I've not seen them in matching outfits, maybe coordinating, but not like matching. And the look on Rachel Notley's face when she saw them, like you just saw her heart melt. <laughs> like as soon as she saw those little girls, it was really good catch. I'm so glad you got that on video. Believe it or not, I remember as a kid, and I know like politics now is so divided, but I still have tons of respect for the position, right? Like leaders of our parties, leaders of the country, province, or whatever the case is. And I remember as a kid meeting Premier Richard Hatfield in New Brunswick, and I was the girl's age. So hopefully they remember wow. it. Probably not, but it was it was a good opportunity. Shelly, how about we jump into the news? We've got lots to cover yeah, this we week. We do. We do. Are well, you going to start with this? <laughs> yeah. You know, last week we made fun of Career Builder for their paper resume product, which was kind of a joke because like paper resume has been a thing on Indeed for 10 to 15 years. But this week they have another big announcement and I'll just read it out for you. So they've Mm -hmm. launched pay for performance job ads. So according to this release, they are focusing on job advertising and job applications. Career Builders Pay for Performance is helping to shift the traditional recruitment landscape by aligning costs with outcomes, allowing business to optimize their hiring strategies like never before. Well, first of all, Shelly, 
How stupid do they think talent acquisition people are? Pay for performance has been out for decades and most major job boards have some type of pay for performance. So to launch and saying this is innovative, come on, Mr. Jeff. Furman. I, I tried to dig in a little bit deeper to get a sense like what does pay for performance mean? Is this cost per click? Is this cost per applicant? And it's really not defined. I don't know if you found anything additional, but I think it's going to be cost per applicant. And from what I'm reading, they are keeping the traditional duration based model as well. So you can choose. So Shelly, pretty much another career builder joke or a delusion of yeah. any innovation in the market like the ship is sailed career builder keep doing job arbitrage and making a million dollars a month doing that but your days of being a dominant job boards are never coming back what's your thought shelly their description of what this pay for performance model is is so vague and it was like word soup it's like somebody sat down and can we baffle our audience with bullshit? Because it didn't really say anything. No. Like who's going to disagree with a statement of by tying costs to results and reducing upfront costs, businesses are empowered to achieve their hiring goals. I'm like, okay, even if we broke this down, it was like, I still don't understand. Why would I choose between this and your duration based? Is anybody who's still posting on CareerBuilder so adverse to change? That's the only reason they're still customers is because they're hanging on to the good old days. Again, I just feel sorry for them. I'm thinking he just went to chat GPT. Write me a press release about a pay for performance job ads. This is what you get. This is exactly a chat GPT press release. Like everything of it. Let me just read like... What Jeff Furman said, our new performance-based solution represents a paradigm shift in how we partner with businesses, aligning our success with theirs. It's a powerful model that underscores our commitment to innovation and tangible outcomes. Chat GPT, like if not, who's writing this? Like it's the worst PR I've ever seen. I know, I know. it is. It is. <laughs> Well, I want to jump into the next. So talking about job boards and job aggregators, I saw a post last week from an employee at talent.com basically saying that, well, I'll read it to you because it's been summarized. Mm -hmm. Just when I thought it was going so well, then bang, a massive company restructure here at talent.com has meant that as of today, I'm looking for work. As you may remember, Shelly, mm -hmm. in April, mm -hmm. Talent.com laid off 86 workers, which represented around 18% of the company's workforce. I've dug in quite a bit more, and I have not gotten any direct answers. Let me just make some shit up. Here's what I think happened. Looking at the roles, I think this is the majority in sales and yeah. customer service. Yeah. And if I had to take a guess, I'm going to say 10 to 15 people. That's my guess. Not confirmed. So please, anyone listening to this, I don't know. It's a guess. But talent.com has not really confirmed anything. So I guess we will see. But to let your business development people go? Yeah. So either, you know, the guy that posted it, like, we don't know what sort of performer he is, right? Yes. So we want to be careful. And again, don't anybody run with scissors on this because it could just be someone who wasn't performing. 
And imagine trying to be a sales rep to try and sell talent.com. You've got a great domain name, but what exactly do you do? They buy and sell traffic. Well, that's the majority. How they basically get their clicks is through text and candidate alerts, mm-hmm. which they do well. I thought the same. There's a couple of words there that kind of made me think, well, is it just an underperforming person? But the big word here is a massive company restructure. Obviously, people mm. exaggerate that. Like if it was a massive company restructure, I think we would have seen a lot more of it. There was another gentleman that had a very similar comment that mm. he got laid off. Mm. That's the only thing we could find. Um, yeah, and I sure. talked to people in the industry and they didn't know more than I do right now. The thing is, it's not a surprise. Right now, every major job board is mm-hmm. struggling. And when we had Chris Foreman from Atcast in the show, I think he described it perfectly. In a market right now where there's a lot more job seekers out there than there was, getting free organic traffic to your job so you don't have to pay is replacing paying for a lot of these jobs, which makes Indeed, Zip, Talent, all of these players a little bit vulnerable and some are getting impacted a lot more. The thing is, with Talent, They got $120 million in 2022 to compete directly with Indeed. I still think they're sitting on a ton of cash. And I just don't know what the plan is with that cash. There's no way they burnt through $120 million in cash. I know they have a big operation and quite profitable as a company from what I understand in the industry. Is it just restructuring right now to get everything aligned? What's your thoughts? Like, why are they doing this if they are actually doing this? Again, speculation, restructure is sometimes code for culling of the herd. Yeah. We thought we would hire a bunch of salespeople when we got all this money. Some of that's not working out. We're going to shift more to, who knows, developers, because we're really onto something. Maybe. I don't know. I'm a little cautious because... They're not a publicly traded company, so there's no obligation to disclose. So again, we're just putting pieces together. Anyway, I found something really fun on TikTok. Actually, it was brought up by another article. There's a hashtag called September Surge. Not Surge Boudreaux, but Surge as in increase of hiring. And some recruiters have decided they're going to make themselves TikTok famous by explaining to everyone, if you want a job, September is the time to do it. I know we joke all the time about how many years I've been in recruitment. And here's something I have said since the first year. You can set your watch by it. We are conditioned in North America for new changes in September. That's when we start school. Summer's over, finished our vacation. So since the time we are four and five years old, we're conditioned for new beginnings in September. Yes. So the job market follows. You maybe used up your vacation for the year, you've had time with your family, and you go, I don't want to go back to work for that manager. And you start looking. So it is true that September is traditionally one of the busiest months. And now we have this thing called job boards and Indeed and Google. And we can actually prove that traffic increases right about now, hot on the heels of that would be January. We know the second Tuesday of January is the highest day of the whole year, but it's the same human behavior about new beginnings. TikTok is not into something new. 
this is not news or information. We've just never been able to share what we know as recruiters so broadly. There's a pattern here, right? If you're going to change jobs, do it in September, or you're going to have to wait till January. Yes. Well, and I think you nailed it. There's too busy time. And I've been in this space and work for a lot of job boards. And I know when the peak sales times are, and that's January, February is our highest amount of traffic. And then the second one and very close to it is September, October. Exactly to the point you're saying about people looking for new changes. But there's also on the company side that, okay, we've gone through the summer, our hiring managers are back to interview, we can actually start hiring again. There's another factor too. This is actually the time that companies start looking at their budgets for next year. What are we forecasting? And then from there, looking at what is the workforce plan that we need to have in place? How many people do we need to hit that revenue goal? that we are going to be putting in place. So I think those are the two key factors. But I was reading that article, I saw a bunch of the TikToks, and my thought was, it's a lot of recruiters hoping for the best, I guess is the way I would describe it, because I am not seeing that surge. I am not seeing that surge of any significant amount in September as of right now, just by judging by volume of jobs posted on sites we work with. There is definitely a lot of job seekers out there, but we're not seeing a huge influx of new roles across the board. But Shelly, I think this is such a weird time. I I don't think we're going to get that surge. There is so much uncertainty with a lot of companies of what actually is going on with the economy. And that's been happening for two years and we don't have a better resolution. We're seeing the labor market cool down and I don't see that trend being reversed, but that's just my thought. I think it's going to be a very slow September in mm-hmm. context of other years. So on that note, if you are going to change jobs, where is the highest demand? The highest demand trades in Canada, I know we talk a lot about trades and we always think of carpenters or mechanics, but there was a published list by province of what the highest demand trades are. What I thought really interesting is which provinces have a shortage of hairstylists. (laughs) You know, I never thought of a hairstylist as a skilled trades, but it it is. When I saw that, I'm like, interesting. Yes. So this did not surprise me at all that Atlantic Canada, BC, and Quebec both have a shortage of hairstylists. Why? Well, mostly, I would say, it comes down to working conditions. And people who maybe were hairstylists, along came the pandemic, that was a real roller coaster. Usually you are an independent contractor. So you pay rent for your chair, hoping that salon brings in enough traffic or business. That's not an ideal way to make a living. It's not because you are not guaranteed an income, but you are under contract to pay for the chair. It's a reflection of an industry that has long taken advantage of people. And what we see now is people standing up and saying, well, I'm just not going to do it. The working conditions just aren't that great. Therefore, I think a lot of people left the industry. So, I mean, if you're going to target who to recruit, it's hairstylists. But if you're trying to run a hair salon, you're going to be in a whole world of hurt. So that's my thought on why hairstylist is such a high demand trade. Well, thank you for that perspective. And everything you said there makes a lot of sense. My first thought was, 
when I saw Atlantic Canada, I'm like, well, there's a lot of older women that live there and they need more hairstyle. <laughs> But you know how older women are with their hair, right? Like they, it's yes, that's what I'm saying. The older you get, the more fussy you are about your hair. My mom is obsessed about her hair. Oh yeah, my my wife's mom obsessed, obsessed, yeah, with their hair. With her hair, it is your crown as a woman. It is something that you can change, you can control. I think for me, I'll speak for myself. My personal lived experience is. I love doing stuff with my hair. You've got three little girls. Do they not love doing their hair? Well, they got their second haircut ever on Saturday. But it's like an old lady haircut. It looks like they're growing out their bangs. It looks a little bit. It's so cute. It's really cute. But anyways, yeah, I didn't know that hairstylist. I didn't never put that in context. I never thought about that. But everything you said is 100% true. But I was looking at what other traits, like what are the common ones across all the province? And mm. a couple stuck out at me. None of them are surprised. Industrial mechanics. Yes. Yeah. Electricians. Heavy duty equipment. We've done a lot of recruiting through mm. our careers in that role. That's not a surprise. That's been a challenge for 10, 15, 20 years. And then carpenters. Those were the key ones that came up pretty much in every province. But I think we're seeing that challenge and it's going to get worse. We've talked about this multiple times on the show. Skilled trades is a massive challenge. And I am now including hairstylists in there. Yes. So tip of the week. You ready for this, Serge? Tip of the week. Or no. Sorry, I missed it. It's just a tip. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I was reminded of how important executive search is. I had a friend reach out to me on LinkedIn, someone I've known for years, and he is a very experienced executive in the construction industry. So he was like, hey, what advice do you have for me? And conversation for him would start at quarter of a million dollars, right? So is that really a role that you would want in-house recruiters to be doing? Think about a company making that sort of decision, right? Where your base salary is maybe two fifty to five hundred thousand, and you're just going to hire somebody who applied. That's not a referral. So I was really reminded there's mm. a place for executive search because they develop these relationships over years. They have the assessment tools to look at how you make decisions. Is somebody psychologically stable? They do the social media review and background because an executive search firm is putting their reputation on the line. They stay connected usually for about a year, helping that executive assimilate within the team. That's why it's so expensive. As recruiters, we're like, oh my God, we're going to spend $85,000 on a search fee. Let me do it. Thinking that they're going to somehow save the company money. No. So my tip of the week is that you need to understand that there is a time and a place to bring in an executive search fee. And there is a time not to save money. And that is when your organization is making a decision on a key exec. So call executive search and vet them properly too. A lot of people think they can do it, but unless they've really got the deep relationships and reach and the tools to truly assess the fit within an executive team. Very good tip. And I agree with you. There are certain things that we're just not going to have the network, the expertise 
just the overall knowledge when it comes to those executive roles, like CTO is one that jumps at me that, yes, do I know some CTOs? But there's a huge network of them that someone that's ingrained in that network knows all the ins and outs. Did they fuck up at this company implementing the ERP? All of these things that we wouldn't know and you find out when it's too late and they can't do the job. So 100% agree. Very good tip of the week. Thank On you. that note, let's jump into the recruitment insight. Shelly, jump in first. Mm-hmm. So speaking of recruiters and recruiter maybe ego, there was an article, it was on LinkedIn, and it was posted by Sarah. This is a recruiter being recruited for a recruiting role <laughs> for a company called Tuscarilla. Who's in our space, by the way. They're a pre-employment assessment platform. Right. So the irony here isn't lost on anyone. If they're in our space hiring for a recruiter, what should the candidate experience be? Okay. So for one thing, started out with one long post about 10 minutes for an assessment, 10 minutes for back, you know, like how much time this person had invested, but it, it very quickly turned into seven or eight posts, each of which were probably a 10 minute read. And it just kept going on and on. So it went from, I think, what would be a respectable, here's my experience, to sour grapes. There certainly were some things like when you're asking someone to do assessments, like I believe at one point they asked her to do an assessment of if you were going to choose a new applicant tracking system, what are the factors to consider? So she had some really good points. I don't think I would answer that either. If you were interviewing for just a recruiter, if I was applying for vice president of talent acquisition, I would be expected to be able to answer that question. But that's not the role. That's part one. Part two is how did the company choose to respond? That's when it got interesting because their VP decided to respond on a platform called Loom. Yeah. And she went on video. She's looking right at the camera and apologizing for the experience of being clear to say, we're not perfect. And I hear your feedback and we'll make changes. And what was interesting was she never got personal or defensive. So as far as reputation management, wow. (laughs) Yes, it was a public rant by Sarah because she didn't get the job. Because it, it really did digress to the point where you're just like, they should have probably let you out of the process earlier when it became clear that if you can write something that long, imagine how long she talks for. (laughs) Right? In the interview, you never hear her really take accountability for where she may have messed up in the interview process herself. She's blaming everything on them, pretty much for the most part. But the response from the company was a bravo. Yeah. Bravo. They did not hide behind it. They addressed it. Admit it's not perfect. Thank you for your feedback. Round of applause. Yeah, what else can you do, though? I think they handled it perfectly. I like the approach going on Loom and recording the video, which I leverage Loom a lot in my day-to-day. It makes a lot of sense. But uh, 
I was thinking exactly what you just said. She annoyed the hell out of me. You didn't say that, but I'm going to say it. It's just like, the fuck are you thinking here? You're going on a rant that's probably 5,000 words in LinkedIn. No more. Like, honestly, Serge, like I kept reading. And after a half an hour, I was like, oh my God, there's more. Like, how could you possibly find that much to complain about? Wow. Well, holy, like if anything, Tascarilla made the right choice. <laughs> Cuz if somebody can complain that long, oh my gosh, yeah. Well, she looks like a nightmare it. to work with, like 100%. Right? So it's their process. Their process is strenuous. It's long, it's in depth. But that's also their right to do it that way as well. I know we're professionals, we don't think that's the right way. But it's the way they decided they want to hire, correct? What I did not find in here was anything glaring that was that bad. I didn't see anything that the experience was that horrible. I've heard of worse experience in a hiring process than this. I wouldn't even rank her experience in the top 50 worst experience I've heard of in this industry throughout my career. So I, I just read it and I'm like, oh, shut up, shut up. <laughs> like I'm never going to hire you. And so here is how I would have done it. I would have sent it directly to that VP of HR, that CEO being like, here's my feedback, right? Here you go. Because if her goal is to actually improve what they do and give them the feedback to improve their process, going public. I might be wrong. No, that's an excellent point, Serge. Excellent point. Was there any attempt by Sarah to give this feedback to the hiring team? Or What's interesting is when you go to the origins, like her very first post, she states that she was somewhat casually looking. She was just back from maternity leave. She wasn't sure. And so to go from the nonchalant, like I'm casually looking, I think a rational person would have bailed out as soon as this became your full-time job was going through their interviewing process. Because if you're not that serious, why would you endure it? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. To me- A little suspect. Yeah, it's attention-seeking. It's not going to help her. Not a fan of it. So there's one thing I want to jump into. And Shelly, you know that I'm a believer that we're going to have recruiterless recruitment departments in the very near future. And first of all, let me take a step back. When I say recruiterless, it doesn't mean there's not physical people doing the talent acquisition functions. It's just how we envision the department, right? Like we have different roles and skill sets that maybe don't exist in talent acquisition right now. But I found this article that goes into the 100% fully autonomous hiring process with a zero touch ATS. I'll explain that a little bit then. Mm-hmm. I want to dig in a little bit yeah, deeper. This company calls C zero touch ATS basically is selling the proposition of an ATS that no one ever has to touch anything. These stats drive me crazy. But if you use this by reducing manual labor and eliminating the need for multiple recruitment tools, 
organization can experience a 27% reduction in cost per hire. Where the fuck did you get that number? Oh, sir, I'm swearing a lot. Where did you get that number? Like, okay. We have an E-rating search. I know, but Just I told yourself. myself I was going to stop swearing on yourself. the podcast. Yes. Optimized time resource. The implementation of zero-touch ATS enhances time efficiency. And no shit. Zero-touch ATS contributes to a 15% decrease in time to fill roles. Where is that coming from? Do you have enough data to actually prove that? But basically where it's going is everything is completely automated in the sense that you apply... Your resume is judged. It's moved to the next step. There's no interviews, I'm assuming, done, or there might be at one particular point, but everything is done without the touch of a recruiter. My first thought and concept that is maybe utopia for a lot of small business, a lot of mid-sized business that can't really afford a recruitment department, their HR department does it on the side of the desk. I'm like, hey, maybe we can automate all of this. And I think there's an argument for it. But on the flip side, I'm thinking there's so much that can go wrong with this. And I use the example of, we talked about Paradox and how McDonald's was using Mm -hmm. Paradox. And we were talking about how great it was, how it worked. It's already doing it. Then we heard a story about someone that applied for a job showed up, there was no one to interview them. And he's telling in his TikTok video that, well, I was talking to someone, but in reality, he never understood that he was never talking to someone. He was talking to a chatbot. He was talking to an AI tool. I wanted to ask you, what do you think can go wrong with a fully autonomous ATS? A zero touch ATS. Okay. When I read this, I thought, okay, there are certain parts that should be automated, but that is not machine learning. That's just automating what's currently a tedious process. According to this zero touch ATS, it is introducing artificial intelligence and machine learning into some of the functions. I think it's a good idea. I do. I think there is so much that really should be improved and can be improved so that recruiters are doing what we should be doing. And that is the interviewing part, the helping leaders make good decisions, helping leaders by putting in a good description of exactly who we're looking for. So if we had more time to do that, then this can be a very good thing. Because even though, like McDonald's example, although being criticized for making mistakes along the way, I don't think for one second that if you went back to a fully manual process, that didn't happen every day, all day long. In fact, I would say it's even worse when you didn't get an automated reminder that the hiring manager or the store manager forgot and didn't realize that it's two o'clock and you're here for your interview. It's going to happen no matter what, but much less than when it was all manual. Making the zero touch ATS is a good idea. It will improve. That's my take. I'm actually surprised by your take, but I'll take it. You nailed one key point here is we fuck it up way more in manual. You look at all the errors that come across why candidates are not being contacted. This is usually a human mm-hmm. error, even when technology screws up. Yeah. This is not going to be perfect. But if we look at it, the more we can automate correctly, 
but I think more important, maintain it too, Mm -hmm. making sure that we're making those adjustments. So I am actually a big believer that a lot of recruitment should be automated because we have done such a bad job for such a long time. And we talk about the personal experience. The candidates don't care. If they are getting a message back being like, hey, you're not going to get the role or here are your next steps. Boom, boom, boom. Compared to getting nothing from a recruiter, they'll take that every day, even if it's coming from a machine. So we will have zero touch ATS in the very near future. And I, for one, will be embracing it because AI will replace you. So Shelly, do you want to jump into our last recruiting insight of the week? Yeah, for sure. I wanted to talk a bit about things to think about if you are at a crossroads as a TA leader, because this is the time of year that everybody's looking at their budgets and what's the workforce plan for next year. Again, back to the September surge, there is lots of things going on in September. And that does include looking at your team structure for next year. And to make those decisions around whether you should have in-house recruiters or outsource your recruiting. And it it may sound like a bit of a punch in the gut when you're like, how could you even think about outsourcing? Well, I think our tip of the week is a really good example of when you should outsource. Yeah. But I just wanted us to discuss a little bit about what are some of the things that maybe TA leaders should be thinking about when they look at their demands in the upcoming year. And something I wanted to challenge is what traditionally we automatically go to, and that's the cost per hire. Cost per hire can be, and I caution you, a a useful metric. The problem is, I think it's rarely done correctly and consistently. Cost per hire can be really challenging because the bigger the company, I think the more complex it becomes. If you've got divisions in different countries, you've got departments that have their own budgets, you've got maybe sister companies. So to really understand your overall cost per hire, it's not so simple as it cost me a hundred bucks to run this ad and I got a hundred candidates. I do caution us to just look at a simple approach of cost per hire in making these sorts of decisions. One of the things that I would encourage TA leaders to think about is there are times if you're anticipating high growth, or if you are in a really challenging area, because if you've not been able to build a team that has good internal knowledge and business acumen, sometimes it's not a bad idea to have outsourced your recruitment function. And we see it in big organizations where they'll insource, then they'll outsource. I can set my watch by it. It's every seven years (laughs) where companies will say, that's it. You know what? Recruitment is too hard and they outsource it to a company who comes in. Then that becomes very expensive. However, depending on how your company views it, it becomes an expense rather than a liability. Because if you've got a team of 50 recruiters, that's a big liability versus outsourcing it. And you now have to hold that contractor feet to their fire on performance and deliverables. So my last thought is just don't simply rely on cost per hire to make that decision. 
Yeah, I'm all over the place with cost per hire, right? Because it's not calculated correctly by most organizations. We tend to forget some costs in there and not put everything in. So I completely agree. Cost per hire is a really tricky method unless you are actually comparing apples to apples across the board. But then to your point, talking about outsourcing and how you should look at it, I completely agree with you, especially if you are a smaller organization and you're going to be hiring a lot very quickly, do not do it internally. Hire an external RPO firm that does it on a day-to-day basis. They have the systems, Mm -hmm. the process, they have everything in place. My only hesitation in the past is this is your brand. And Mm -hmm. I'm always very hesitant to be like, hey, here, take our talent brand and go out there with it. But I think that can be managed. I think that can probably be managed with an external firm better than if you have 50 different employees that are thinking different ways compared to you're going to the firm, here are the rules of how you represent the brand. And if you don't do this, well, we won't be your client anymore. Obviously, that's a lot more challenging when you have 50 employees and 20 that go to the market in a different way. So I definitely do think, especially if you are recruiting in high volume, in short time span, that you should go to RPO and external. Where I probably disagree is if this is a forever thing. If you've decided, hey, I have a team of 20 recruiters, we're just going to go the RPO method and we're going to lay off all our recruiters except one or two, probably disagree with that because there's a lot of knowledge, there's a lot of internal skills that you can manage. So yeah, I agree on both point cost per hire just get it right if you're going to leverage that and make sure you have all the costs in place but cost per hire doesn't tell you anything about how good that hire is would i rather pay $5000 for an elite employee compared to 500 for someone that just sucks I'd rather pay that $5,000. You can't just measure cost per hire and be that's our metric unless you're measuring the quality. And we know that's even harder to do. So on that note, Shelly, we've got events coming up. Breakfast starts on Wednesday and Thursday. So September 13th, 14th, be there. We will be hosting part of the day on the disrupt stage. And I was very excited to see yesterday. I don't know if you noticed this, but Ilya Brodsky, our friend from VanHack will be presenting on the disrupt stage and we're coming on right after him. And I already gave him a heads up, just like, you're going to need to stay on the stage because we're going to talk him up. We're going to talk him up. Exactly. And then on that same day, disrupt HR in Halifax, led by our friend, Leah Sobering, is going to be a phenomenal evening. Some really good speakers. Yeah. Yeah. Some really cool speakers. Then HR Tech in October, we will be at the Plum.io boot with our friends, like Plum, we love everyone that works there. So we're excited to be at that booth. We've got some great interviews lined up. So stay tuned. There's going to be tons of content coming out with all these interviews in the next mm-hmm. couple of months. Shelly, on that note, do you have any parting words? No, that's everything. I think we've got it covered for this week. Perfect. Thank you, Serge. Thank you, Shelly. Au revoir. <laughs> Thank you.
Hey, Brian, how's it going? Awesome. Very good. I'm having a great time. You know, you look really relaxed. What has been your experience the first morning now? A lot of people coming talk to you. Yeah, we've had lots of customers come up and talk to us and just want to meet us in person, which has been great. And lots of vendors have come by to say hello. And it's been great seeing you two as well. There's a lot of personalities here and everyone seems very friendly. Brad and I just are having fun. We, we're not going to really worry about any specific business deliverables. We just want to come here and have fun. And that's maybe why I look so, so relaxed. <laughs> Is this your first Unleash? It's my first Unleash, yes. Has it mostly been other vendors? What sort of people have been coming up and wanting to know more about Rectex? Yeah, I think there's a lot of curiosity about our platform. We've just released, we've done a soft launch of SmartDraft, which is our chat GPT enabled smart messaging suggestion engine. From that, we've had a lot of interest and curiosity. Yes, I just had a demo and I have to say, I love it. I love how you can ask it to have different personas, tones, make it friendly, make it professional for a recruiter. It's heaven for us because having to think up what to say to message a candidate, whether you're inviting them for an interview, to get it on text and you can tell that it's a friendly tone. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Make my life easy. Thank you very much, Rectex. <laughs> can you describe it actually a little bit? Yeah, there's two main functions. So it will read the incoming text message from a candidate. And if the recruiter chooses, they click on a little icon in the interface and it will generate a response to that incoming text message from that candidate. And the user has the ability to adjust the tone mm -hmm. of the message and the length of it too. And that's one use for it. The other one is it can rewrite existing text messages. So perhaps you've written out a text message, you're not entirely happy with it, or you're having a busy day, or you just wanna put a new spin on some of your messaging, you can actually type out your message click our little smart draft icon and we'll rewrite that message and the tone that you selected. It's pretty cool. It's it just fun. very cool. I was really I'm, impressed. I'm so impressed. I had to drag Shelly across the floor and <laughs> be like, you gotta come see what Rectex is doing. If Shelly's impressed, that means yeah. a lot. It's just well, I, love, a lot to I love the simplicity. Yes. And it's just, it's so intuitive. You click the little magic wand and it rewrites it. And it's so much better than just a template. That would be what I'm seeing from the different vendors is using these templates or forms. Oh my God, please. This is the next level of writing something that actually sounds like it's coming from a person. Because you can tell as a candidate, if somebody sent you something that is just a template. 100%. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your core product, your text messaging service. Can you describe it to the audience? I know we've had you on the show before. Yeah, absolutely. The easiest way to think about our product is it's an instant messaging app for recruiters that is all SMS based. So it's all text messaging, yeah. but visualize it like an instant messaging app and it integrates and works over top of basically all ATSs. And so the recruiter simply clicks on a candidate phone number to launch a text conversation with that candidate. And if we have the API integration, all those text messages that are sent and received between the recruiter and the candidate instantly logged as a note into the candidate's ATS profile. Sounds real expensive. It is not expensive in my opinion. Like the ROI is through the roof. One thing that makes us very different is that our pricing is on our website. Yeah. Because I've went through the demo process myself. I was really frustrated with 
the fact that I had to wait for a, a quote from these demos when I wanted to know up front before I was wasting anyone's time how much these products cost. So you just jump on our website and have a look at our pricing and you can play around with how many team members and it'll auto adjust the pricing for you. So it's all transparent. We typically come in about 30 to 50% of the cost of our closest competitors. We're about a third or at least half of the cost of everybody else. A lot more affordable than other vendors in our space. From the show itself, has there been anything that's really impressed you? Any other HR tech companies? It's still early, so yeah. I haven't had a chance to walk around too much. But just looking right now, just, there's a lot of startup booths here, which is really exciting to see. It's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out. And fast forward one year from now, where some of these companies are going to be and if they're going to have bigger booths, and maybe Rectex will have a bigger one too. <laughs> well, I think you're on the right path. Because you're on three or four years. I was one of your first customers, you were, I think, yeah, in yeah. 2019. You are one of our product testers, I guess, earlier yeah. on. I remember that. Yeah. Our first integration with Greenhouse was our first ATS was January 2020. So three and a half years, roughly. And I know the economy has been difficult, but looking at our first quarter, we 3 x last year's first quarter. So we seem to be doing pretty well still, which is great. Yeah. Awesome. When I look at who's going to be here next year, bigger booth. I look at the founders and I look who developed this solution. Mm -hmm. And if you're coming from the real life experience of being a recruiter, being in talent acquisition and building your product to solve a problem that we as talent acquisition professionals face, that's who will thrive. And that's why we're such big fans of Rectex because you're our peeps. Yeah. <laughs> Solved yeah. us a problem. Yeah. We how, know long problem. Were you, how long were you a recruiter? About 15 years. Okay. Yeah. So I worked my way up into recruiting leadership and experienced problems with my team that I was leading who were texting candidates from their cell phones. Some female recruiters were getting late night text messages from candidates and that's what triggered everything for me. And I went on this discovery path of looking at what software was available for us and nothing was easy to use or affordable. And that's why Brad and I, we put our heads together and we thought, let's just build it for ourselves first. And then give it to our recruiter friends and see if it solves problems for them. And then it's just naturally turned into a successful business. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Bradley Clark was one of the first guests of the Recruitment Flex. I don't know if a lot of people realize that. How did you guys meet up? Yeah, we've been friends through recruiting industry in Vancouver. So we yeah. used to have beers together and sort of chat shop. We were originally competitors at different staffing or recruiting agencies and then just by way of what happened, I found out about a few contract opportunities that I got Brad involved with. And then he got me a few contract opportunities when we were doing consulting. And so we just became good friends. And Rectech started after that. Fantastic. Anything else, Shelly? No, that's great. Download? I got the down low. Thank you so much. It Thank was you. wonderful to meet you in real life. Yes, <laughs> it was great. Thanks a lot, Brian. Thanks. Thanks so much. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.